Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to today's webinar as part of the Kinexus Continuous Improvement webinar series. It is titled Introducing the Connections Between Habit Science and Continuous Improvement. I'm your host and moderator, Mark Graben, a senior advisor with Kinexus. And today we have two presenters, both also from Kinexus. They're Greg Jacobson and Morgan Wright. So you'll learn more about them in just a minute. Um, before introducing Greg and Morgan, if this is your first time attending one of our webinars, just want to introduce ourselves, the company um, Kinexus. We are a solution for your improvement work where teams can capture, implement, measure, and share in one system that does it all. If you're interested in learning more, please visit our website at www.kinexus.com. So now on to the real um, issue at hand here. Let me introduce our presenters and turn it over to them. So first off, um, Greg Jacobson. He is the co-founder and CEO of Kinexus. Greg graduated from Washington University in St. Louis in 1997 with a BS in biology. He then attended Baylor College of Medicine and uh, completed a residency in emergency medicine at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, where he stayed on as factory. Um, starting in 2004, he got introduced to continuous improvement principles, and that, long story short, resulted in um, the co-founding of Kinexus. And then joining us here today as a presenter, she has hosted and moderated before, uh, Morgan Wright. Um, she is a customer marketing manager at Kinexus. In her role, Morgan partners with our customers to develop and execute uh, a communication strategy to better engage their organization in the use of Kinexus. Morgan is from Austin and graduated from Baylor University with a degree in marketing. So I'm excited to hear what you both have to share today. So with that, I will turn it over to you. Well, thank you very much, Mark. So continuous improvement is better than delayed perfection. I think if you know anything about Kinexus, then you know that our mission is to spread continuous improvement. I have been thinking deeply about continuous improvement for about 20 years. But what the most interesting thing about the, this quote here is that... Um, Look at who look at who wrote this, Mark Twain. Um, and uh, so this precedes Toyota. This precedes the Bell Laboratories. And so humans have been thinking about these thoughts for a really long time. And we believe, I believe, that one of the most profound and potentially the most important strategic thing an organization, whether that's a company, a nonprofit, a group of people, um, your family can do is to practice uh, continuous improvement. And when, when we're talking about that, especially from an organizational standpoint, well, we're gonna be flipping between kind of personal and organization here throughout this. What we're really, what we're really trying to do, and go ahead and go to the next slide, is we're really trying to think about um, how do we develop a culture of continuous improvement? People, people are always talking about, oh, we want a culture of continuous improvement. And, that, and then talk to people and um, at least uh, being in the technology realm and doing this for so long, Mark and I um, can remember 10 years ago, oh, we're not ready. We don't have the right culture yet. Fortunately, I think now people realize that um, the technology can, can really help that. But what does culture mean? Like when we're saying culture, what does it mean? I believe the best definition of culture is from Seth Godin which is people like us do things like this. And, and people like us is, is any size group, right? It can be literally the, the five people that you play Magic the Gathering with. Shout out to our, 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 our Kinexians who like that game or who love that game. It can be a, a, the company you work at. It can be your church community. It, it can be um, your family. But it's, 
people like us and then do things like this. That what we're really talking about is what are the maybe the ritualistic things that we do? What are the um, kind of norms um, that we do? And when we're talking about doing things, what we're really talking about is um, really doing something regular, right? We're not talking about doing um, kind of one-off type things. And, and whenever we talk about doing something regular, we're, another way to say that is habits. Um, and so Morgan, I'll, I'll let you know when to, to go forward on the slide too also. Um, so we're really talking about habits and uh, that's essentially what we're going to be talking about today. So we, we, we talked of the, the title of this slide is Introducing the Connection Between Habit Science and Continuous Improvement. And so this story for me started a number of years ago when I don't remember, it may have been you, Mark, but um, someone introduced me to the power of habit by Duhigg. Um, I love when I'm reading business books or nonfiction books and, and CI is weaved into them. And, and uh, Charles's book, um, Power of Habit, really just weaves CI through it. And it was the first time when I realized that you could design habits, you could design behaviors, you could make things easily repeatable. Um, and there was a science behind doing that. And so I want to tell the story um, a story um, um, regarding this that I think really shows that when we're talking about science, we're truly not even talking about science of organizational behavior science. We're, we're talking about biologically and neatly in, in our bodies, that, that science. And so, um, Morgan, so I, it wouldn't be a science talk being a physician if I didn't show some type of anatomy slide. And so here's an anatomy slide. Hopefully there's no neurologists or neurosurgeons um, in the crowd that's going to, to quiz me on the different areas. But I just want to talk about just two areas there. Um, one is the hippocampus and the other is the basal ganglia. So the hippocampus is classically thought of as the place where memories are, are formed. And if you don't have a hippocampus or it's damaged in some way, then you really don't have the ability to make new memories. Um, it's, it's often... Uh, I mean, when, when people get dementia, this is one of the areas that, that people um, in their brain that's affected by this. And so there's a great story, and, and Morgan, correct me, that's, this I believe is in, is in um, The Power of Habit. <laughs> Morgan and I read all yeah, these right. books, and the, the, all the stories get. So in, in Duhigg's The Power of Habit, and yes, we will have a, a picture, and um, obviously these will be in the slides, all three books, um, where a gentleman had a viral encephalitis. So uh, this gentleman had an infection in the brain and it destroyed his hippocampus. And after he recovered, the manifestation of that was that he did not have the ability to create new memories. And so if anyone remembers the movie Memento, um, that's the, the, the movie I think about whenever I think of this gentleman. Excellent movie. Highly recommend. Apparently, there's another movie that's maybe a little less dark. And what was it called? We just 50 First Dates. 50 First Dates. It's a, it's a, it's a rom-com, right? Is that what, yeah, a rom-com that has a similar premise. And, uh, but this gentleman was basically like that. This, this person um, had to have 24-hour care um, by his wife. His wife basically would sit him down in his um, comfort chair. Um, he would watch TV. They would get up and they would do this um, this walking route, um, over, um, and they 
pretty much the same walking route throughout their neighborhood. They would do it daily or sometimes multiple times a day. And about after two to three months of, of being in this new lifestyle, she walked in and he was not in in the room. And she obviously completely freaked out. A person that um, it's it's like a, a person with severe dementia um, and they, they really need constant care. And she freaked out. She um, scoured the house. He wasn't in the house. She she started going all through the neighborhood, started asking her neighbors. And, and finally, one of the neighbors or some of the, more than just one of the neighbors started to say, oh, yeah, no, we saw your husband. He was he was just walking um, around like uh, like normal. It didn't seem like anything was uh, bothering him. And so finally couldn't find her any couldn't find him anywhere. She goes back to the house and sure enough, he was sitting in the comfort chair um, that he, he normally does. And so. Just stop there. But but if someone doesn't have a hippocampus or it's been damaged, not making memories, how did this person make those make these new memories and and execute on this habit if you will of making this uh this walk and so what the point of telling the story is that the it's thought that the basal ganglia is the part of the brain where habit formation habit repetition sustainment um is, is taking place and so when you think about walking into a room and you have a habit of turning on a light um, when you wake up, whatever the type of sequence that you're doing, you're actually tapping into some really intense biologic um, activities that are going into it. And so the hypothesis that Morgan and I have is how can we use this habit science in a way to influence and to design the type of activities that you want to happen at your organization related to um, continuous improvement? In fact, I'm, I'm going to do a, a quick um I'm going to do a quick quasi poll, but we have made the assumption that most people, and you can just throw this in the chat, that most people here are going to be, um, I'm going to say CI coaches. They're, they are the primary um, CI um, knowledge person of the organization. They're running um, a, a CI program or they're helping. So just toss in there. Are you a, a frontline person that um, does CI as a little bit of what they do, or are you a CI person that you know, 90, 95% of, of your time is thought of in doing um, um, continuous improvement work? Are you a senior leader? Okay, so they're coming through. Yep. Yeah, implementation, project manager, CI manager, CI full-time, OPEX manager, CI leader, CI person, CI leader, senior leader, coach, scrum master, process engineer, 80% CI, Lean lead, quality leader, CI coach. I, I think your hypothesis was yeah. the, the hypothesis is accurate. So most of us, we all believe that continuous improvement is really important, and we're all attempting to um, create cultures, right? People like us do things like this that will promote doing continuous improvement work. So, what if we could tap into all of the habit science that we've learned on individuals and also applies to organizations? And so, go ahead, Morgan, to the next slide. These are, um, Morgan and I, uh, I, I wouldn't say we are um, habit experts yet. I'm using growth mindset there, Morgan. Um, but we have really studied these three bodies and done a lot of um, online reading related to habits. Um, I would, I'd recommend any three of the books. I started with The Power of Habit on the far left of your screen. I moved into Atomic Habits. And then most recently, I've read Tiny Habits. I probably read Power of Habits at least three or four times, Atomic Habits two or three times. We're actually going through the book club of Atomic Habits. I cannot emphasize 
how important I believe as CI experts that we understand the principles in these books and that we start applying them into the type of cultures that we are trying to influence and affect. And so if you know anything about me, if you talk to me for about 15 minutes, you know that I'm going to mention some kind of podcast that I listen to. And in that vein, I recently listened to a Two Guys in Your Head podcast, which is a little eight-minute segments that come out of University of Texas on Fridays. And the last one was how to give a great talk. And said, so, of course, the best way to give a talk is to tell everyone what you're going to talk about, tell them the thing you're going to talk about, and then remind them what you talked about. And so Morgan and I are going to tell you that from here on out, um, go ahead to the next slide, but we are going to talk about routines. Um, how do you develop a routine? What are the elements of a routine that you need? We're talking about where do cues and rewards fit in. And if you know anything about habit size, you probably realize we've got through at least in the Duhigg vernacular, the habit loop. And um, then we're going to talk about a couple of really important things that are related to habits, but not necessarily exactly the habit loop per se. And so without further ado, Hopefully we've captured your attention and we've stated the case of why we believe this is going to um, truly be um, fundamental um, in, in developing the cultures that, that y'all are, are working to create. Okay, so we're talking about routine. So what is the first thing that we need to um, have a routine? Well, we need to have the ability to be able to do the routine, right? And so if you are thinking about, okay, I want to develop a habit to be able to um, do a, well, we'll use a non-CI exam. I want to be able to ha um, have a habit where I want to go rock climbing. Well, if you don't know how to rock climb, it's going to be really hard to develop the routine of rock climbing, right? If you are, I want to develop a habit to to do A3s as part of it. If you don't know how to do an A3, it's going to be really hard. So if you're thinking about designing a, a type of habit for a person in your organization, make sure they have the ability to do that. Um, Secondly, they need to be motivated to do that, right? <laughs> it's going to be really hard to develop a habit. We'll, we'll kind of go into the, the the rock climbing. I don't know why I picked rock climbing, Morgan. We haven't practiced rock climbing <laughs> I like yet. It. I'm picking rock climbing because I don't know how to <laughs> rock climb. And, and I actually don't even want to rock climb. So I don't have the ability or the motivation. It would be a really poor habit for me to um, to, to try to, to, to work on. But um, if you don't have the, whether it's intrinsic motivation or extrinsic motivation, and we can talk about that, then you aren't going to be able to do the routine. So you, you certainly need the ability and the motivation to do that routine. And so I, I actually have been running an experiment for the last three months, and I've been experimenting on my daughter. She's 11. She's in the sixth grade. She's amazing. I ran it through the IRB Anyway, the medical people, no, um, completely ethical experiment. I have been trying to design the, um, I'm, I've been trying to influence her to develop the habit of feeding our dogs um, and not, not the morning and night, just literally looking for the night. And so we kind of talked about this openly with my wife. We actually talked about it with Micah, that's her name. And uh, we started saying, well, how could we build this habit up? And so does she have the ability to feed the dogs? Yes, she has the ability to feed the dogs. And um, so interestingly enough, the motivation is um, she really likes to um, uh, 
take care of things. She likes to take care. She loves her dogs. So she was totally motivated to be someone that was a caregiver towards her dogs. Okay. Okay. So we got them. We got the ability. We got the motivation that could probably give us a routine. But, oh, before we get to the but, let me show you the, what we think is a really um, great thing to think about, which is the fog behavior model. And so the fog behavior model um, kind of shows us um, shows us, I think, in a good um, visual way, this motivation and ability. So if it was really hard to do, let's say feeding the dogs required her to go harvest food or go kill an animal. Um, and even if she was really had high motivation, you can see that if she was on the very far left of the x-axis, she would be on the left of the action line, wouldn't be able to do the routine, right? Feeding the dogs is super easy. There's dog food. We're not even asking her to go buy the dog food. It's right there in the dog food bin. And so she can do it and she has the motivation. So it is on the right side of the action line. So, so that checks things off. I'm going to pause right here because I want Morgan to have an opportunity to add to this. Yeah. So just a little note about what the fog behavior model is, you know, as you can see, uh, BJ Fogg is the author of Tiny Habits, which is one of the books that we recommend. So we thought this was a really interesting way to look at it. So, you know, long story short, we don't want to be on the left side, right? We want to get on the right side of that action line, but with motivation and ability, like we talked about, sometimes neither are there, um, but we have found that there needs to be that this third element in order to stay to that right of the action line and make something happen. So Greg, I'll let you jump into kind of what that third element is. Okay, so go ahead and go to the next slide. And so you think, okay, so if you have the ability, you have the motivation, well, <laughs> Micah was never feeding the dogs. And so we realized that um, you need one extra thing in order to have this routine. And that one extra thing is, is you need a cue. You need something to remind you to do it. And so, you know, make sure as you're thinking through, okay, so I'm a CI coach. I am trying to get people to submit ideas. I'm trying to get people to have the behavior of doing an idea board. By the way, there's two different people in that process, right? There's the person that needs to submit an idea, and then there's a the person that needs to manage and do the idea board. But you're starting to hopefully start to make the connections of how, how am I going to influence? How am I going to design? How am I going to get the people I work with? to do the type of CI routines that we want. And we need to make sure they have the ability, the motivation. So that motivation might be change management. It might be starting with why. It might be saying, hey, we can make your job easier to do. We can make things less frustrating. But then you also need a cue. And in this case, what we did with Micah is we designed the cue to be around when she ate. So we thought, okay, she eats dinner every night. And so if we could tie the routine to the cue of eating dinner, we could start to build that um, muscle memory, if you will. And um, it's interesting. We're, we're doing a, um, the book club and Morgan and I, we were talking a lot in the book club because we talked a lot about habits for when I mean, we've been preparing for this talk for what, three, four months. I mean, yeah. and uh, really trying to synthesize and distill this information. And um, in one of uh, a Kinexian person that works at Kinexius was talking about um, wanting to practice um, uh, another language. He's a person that um, is actually fairly competent in Japanese, apparently, and um, was saying, oh, I, um, I'm, I'm, I find myself um, 
practicing some of my Japanese and then several weeks will go by um, before I practice it again. And um, we talked through it and the conversation went into, oh, is it easier to develop habits when you're really young or when you're old? We went in all different directions. And what was funny is, Morgan, when we finished the conversation, when we had this, like, what, what was our... You, oh, we we were kind of talking through, okay, well, what's his cue? You know, what's his reward? I think that's where he's missing it, right? We need a reward that's going to follow it. And he needs that, that uh, you know, particular cue. So, so it really he, he had the ability, he actually spoke competent Japanese and he had a way to learn more Japanese. He was using an app and, and had the resources. He was motivated because he speaks and communicates in Japanese with his friends when he's playing video games. Um, but he didn't simply have the cue of like, before I do this or after I do this. And so um, so as you're thinking, so how does a CI coach think about this? So if you're thinking, oh, I want my shop floor person, I want my nurse, maybe the cue is coming from the the nurse manager. Maybe the cue is a, a, a little push on the wall. Maybe the cue is um, the, the CI coach is just kind of walking around and just saying, hey, can I watch you work? Is there anything that um, could be easier? Um, so you, you need to make sure that you're building in in that queue. All right. Okay, so giving you a little bit on, on how do you develop the routine, right? I'm going to remind you again, this is you need to have the ability to do it. You need to have the motivation. And then if you have a, a memory to do it, some kind of cue to do it, in this case, Ike is going to eat herself, wait a minute, there are these animals that cannot care for themselves, that will be my cue, I'm about to eat dinner, and, um, but it needs to stick, so, I, and I'm, 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 I'm really not making up this story, the last couple of weeks, I've been asking Micah, like, hey, it's about dinner time, are you supposed to do something, she's like, oh, no, I already fed the dogs, and I was like, how did you think of feeding the dogs? And she's like, oh, well, I got hungry and I knew it was about dinner time and I saw the dogs. And she has truly kind of developed this um, this habit. And um, But how, how did we make it stick? And so this was the really interesting part of it. Okay, so, um, oh, we have another anatomy slide. Excellent, Morgan. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, there will be an anatomy test at the end of this. Hopefully everyone has been paying attention. Um, and so the the blue lines on this um, are the dopaminergic system. So who here has heard of dopamine, right? If you've heard of um, social networks or um, social media, then we all know that we are programmed to look at these devices and uh, do whatever on these devices, all related to the dopaminergic system. In fact, without the dopaminergic system, we think about the dopaminergic system in lots of negative ways, like, oh, I, I had this addiction to, to my phone or to um, doing a bad habit. Um, but but it's thought that without the dopaminergic system, humans wouldn't even want to get out of bed or um, go go eat or um, find mates. Um, so the, the dopaminergic system is, is, is not a system that should only be scoffed as negative, but it, it truly gives us motivation to, to do things that are good for ourselves. But take a look at this at this slide, um, at this um, um, anatomy um, pictorial um, for a second, because if you if you um, a quick basic science um, concept is the further away from the brainstem, so the further out you go from the, that blue area that's very close to the that's in the brainstem, and out it's you can become more and more and more cerebral, right? So humans are 
hyper-intelligent um, animals because we have all those um, wrinkles in our cerebellum, in our cerebrum, and our cerebrum, not our cerebellum, but um, in our cerebrum that allow us to think. The further in you go to the brain, it's more core into um, it's more core into to doing. Uh, breathing and sleeping and it regulates your heart rate. It's, it's more fundamental to just basic urges and notice where this dopaminergic system starts. So dopaminergic system is the system that we're going to need to tap into. That's going to provide the reward. And that reward is what is going to make habits stick. So would you Morgan? Yeah. And I can, give everybody a little bit more context around rewards. I feel like it's so fascinating learning about kind of the science behind rewards and why we're so addicted to our phones, right? Or why, you know, these bad habits won't go away, right? So a couple things in creating good rewards, right? So our habit loop isn't a loop if we don't have these rewards in place. And it's really important that we're strategic about our rewards. So we need to make sure that they hit these three things. So it needs to be satisfying. It needs to be immediate and it needs to be consistent. So an example we use here at Kinexus or plenty of other platforms is this idea of gamification where you're using badges, right? So badges are a great way to really push your users to do a certain behavior, right? Uh, so when the user gets the badge, you know, assuming that it's set up correctly, it's going to satisfy these three things. So, you know, there's a lot of science behind this concept of gamification. And so... Uh, and- I would say, stay on the slide, continue. Yeah, and I want to just make one more point about incentives versus rewards. Greg, I feel like we've talked so much about the idea of an incentive versus a reward, and it's so much more complex, I think, than we initially thought. Um, So this idea of, I think we'll dive more into this in the next webinar, but I just want to share, you know, ideas or, you know, incentives can help get things started where rewards actually rewire that brain, right? And actually, you know, Um, hit that dopamine. So the example that I've seen a lot is this idea of, okay, I want to run twice a week and then I'll get a massage two weeks after. But in all reality, that massage is the incentive, right? It's too far in the future for our brain to recognize that and to get that shot of dopamine. um, Whereas a true reward, uh, you know, entices and, and starts that dopamine. So so, so I want I want to go back to the to the Micah story because I, I think making sure, and and I'm glad you brought up, we're actually going to have a follow-up webinar where we're going to dive deeper into many of these concepts. We're, we're just trying to give a kind of survey cursory here. But um, so, so Micah, let's go back to Micah and feeding the dog. So she has the cue. She does something every day, eat dinner. She knows the routine. She did the routine. And then we, we talked a lot in our family about, well, what's the reward going to be? Is it going to be a positive reward or is it going to be a negative reward, so to speak? And so we asked her, like, Micah, what do you want? Do you want, if you remember, well, you know, you, you'll get your dollar that day for the, um, um, see, I forget the word because um, we never give it to her. Which Allowance. Allowance. Thank you. <laughs> we're, in which we're a bad family about allowance. <laughs> She, she uh, wants for not. Um, and uh, or would you want like a punishment like, hey, if you don't remember to feed the dogs, you, you can't get your 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 TV time today. We could never figure it out. It never happened. And then I asked her because she started to develop this habit of us reminding. I asked her, I was like, hey, what what do you feel after you feed the dogs? And she says, oh, well, I really want 
I, I really don't want to disappoint y'all. Um, and I, I get, I get this intrinsic kind of feeling, this, this kind of reward when we ask, Oh, did you feed the dog? And, and then we say, Oh, I'm so proud of you. You fed the dog. So like there's this immediate, it's satisfying. And every time she remembers to feed the dogs, we immediately tell her like, we're so proud of you that you fed the dogs. That's super awesome. And so I think if we're applying this now to the CI, let's say you're trying to get a executive. Um, I want my executive. Um, we, we, we mentioned users and, and badges uh, and, and Morgan was really talking about that in a generic way, right? If you look at the Duolingo and all those kinds of badges, but we, we have badges and Kinexus, but even if you're not using Kinexus and you're doing this, um, let's say on paper, that, that doesn't mean you can't use the um, concepts of recognition. Hey, when, when someone puts in that, that idea, let's say you're doing an idea board and you're reviewing that, it's like, Hey, Mark, thanks so much for um, putting in the idea about moving the printer. Um, I, I'm making a joke about removing the printer because that's our, our our stupid example we always use. But, you know, thank you for identifying that safety issue. Thank you. And so that immediate that immediate recognition, recognition is a powerful, powerful reward, which can be part of your habit loop. Um, let's say you're you're trying to get, develop a habit for an executive to to look at um, CI performance or to, to look at you know projects or whatever it is. Um, it, it's it's interesting, but you can recognition even for um, executives can be um, hey, hey Mark, thank you so much for looking into this. Isn't this amazing? The amount of great work we're doing. That reinforcement of like oh I get to I'm getting um, praise. I get to see the amazing work that my organization is doing. So really be very intentional about, about how you're designing each kind of type of person. And we'll talk through about how to think through that and how you're developing it. Um, should, should we move to the next topic? So. So we have completed a major concept, right? We're on bullet three. So I'm telling you what we're going to tell you. Now I'm telling it to you. Right? We, we've talked about the routine. We've talked about cues and rewards, how does all this fit together? It fits together in the habit loop. And if you are a reader of Atomic Habits, Clear's habit loop, I don't think he calls it the habit loop, has four steps. Don't really care. I'm a simple brain person, so I can remember three steps easier than four steps. I think that the concepts are the same. And so here you have, if you want someone to do something or you want a group of people to do a recurrent behavior, you're going to think about and design what are the cues that you want that group of people to do? What is the actual routine that you want? We'll talk probably more in the next talk, but we'll talk about the routine. If you want to um, run a marathon, the, the habit that you're probably going to not start with is running 26 miles. <laughs> you, you, that routine you might start with is literally just putting on your shoes. So make sure the routine, they have the ability, they have the motivation, and um, of course they have the cue and then the reward. Morgan? Yeah. So I love the Mike example and I love the idea of kind of recognition being the reward, right? It doesn't always have to be something tangible or something like a badge. It can just be a good job, goes a long way in a professional setting as well. So as I've kind of started to think through my own habit loops, you know, as we mentioned, we've been doing so much research. So it's really been on my mind, whether it's personal or professional things. So I just wanted to quickly share like kind of my professional example. So one thing here at Kinexus is that, you know, it's really important for us to log in every day to stay on top of the projects we're doing and collaborate with our teammates, stay on top of due dates, um, all kinds of things like that. Um, so something that's really important is making sure that we're clearing our notifications every day, right? That's just a really easy way to stay on top of everything. 
but you get into your email in the morning, you get sidetracked and sometimes you forget, right? So I really tried to make this habit loop of, okay, how can I make sure I'm clearing my notifications every day? So mm-hmm. what I've kind of done here is my cue is first thing in the morning, right? Which is every day you get, you get ready and you sit, you know, you get on your computer to start work for the day. So instead of getting into my email where I could get sidetracked, I go straight in Kinexus and I clear my notifications, right? And so then my reward is that I can make myself a yummy breakfast, right? So in between, I start work, I check my notifications, then I make breakfast. And I found that it's really helped me to be a bit more consistent in making sure that I'm clearing my notifications. That's great. I oh, um, I was going to nice. give one other example yeah. habit. Um, I have... Uh, it, Mark knows me for a really long time. So uh, prior to about three years ago, I did not have any type of exercise routine. I was a, a squash player. I tried to get out maybe once or twice on the on the court. It was great. Did not take care of my um, body the way a late 40s-year-old uh, gentleman should. And so I was basically a weekend warrior, and I tore my ACL. And uh, um, after getting it repaired, I started to um, really do all of the the PT that was necessary to make the the success, uh, the operation successful. And so um, this was literally during the time I was reading Atomic Habits and I was trying to build up not only the habit of doing all my physical uh, therapy, but also really trying to get into a balancing, a stretch and a strength routine. And so um, an example um, uh, loop that I made was, my cue is literally waking up and seeing my workout gear right at the edge of my bed. I don't put it away. It's literally right there. So my routine ends up being that I just put that clothing on and I'll be honest with you, once or twice a week, I don't have time to do anything. So I literally just put it on and then I go off and do other things. Other times I have time to stretch and balance and other times I have time even to do that, that full exercise. But it is, it is, essentially now impossible for me to wake up and not put that clothing on. Um, and, and it's really developed that habit loop. So as you're thinking through, you know, maybe, maybe the cue is um, we have a template presentation um, slide um, at our organization. Maybe the cue is that, Hey, what are your continuous improvement initiatives? And that's a template slide on there. Um, and then the routine that you want your organization or your different teams to work with is just talk about the improvement efforts that they're doing in a continuous basis. And then when they do that, maybe as a CI coach, you can develop some type of reward when you see that type of behavior or figure out how to monitor that type of behavior and, and reach out and give that. And what we're ideally trying to go from is from extrinsic motivation type things to intrinsic motivation, right? We don't think about flipping the light switch when we walk into a room now, we just kind of do it. And so the idea is, is that that is the direction you're moving your organization to that what we do, we start the shift off and we go to this board and we talk through these issues and we look at these numbers and we talk about the issues of the prior 24 hours. And we, it's just people like us do things like this. This is what we do. So that's a, that's kind of the, the mindset and the direction that you're going. And I think as CI coaches, y'all have this unique opportunity to design these type of behaviors in your organization. Awesome. So before I read the quote, um, I feel like we've really talked through the habit loop as a whole, right? We've talked through cues, routines, rewards. So now that last bullet point is that we want to kind of share some underlying 
themes to keep in mind that are really important as you start to build those new habits or as you try to get rid of these undesirable ones. So the first being we want to focus on systems over goals. So of course, we have the James Clear quote up here, forget about goals, focus on systems instead. So really all that systems are is it's just creating a repeatable set of actions. So if we're looking at goals are like the macro and systems are the micro. So really to expand on that, goals really help you set that direction, but they're nothing on their own. They're very focused on the future state, right? Sometimes they can feel a bit out of reach or hard to reach. So these systems are these things that you need to do daily uh, to make you that person that you want to be. They're really focused on the present and ultimately they're going to be those building blocks to reach those goals. So the example that Clear uses in Atomic Habits is, you know, let's say you're an entrepreneur, you want to build a million dollar business. So that's your goal, but your systems are how you test product ideas, hire employees and run marketing campaigns. So the next kind of theme that we want to talk about is identity. So identity is huge. I think we've learned so much about this in these three books. So really just trying to finish the sentence, I'm the kind of person who, with the identity that you really want to embrace. So this is all about kind of starting that identity shift. So do you feel successful in these changes that you start to make? You naturally view yourself differently and really begin to embrace this identity. So as kind of a CI example, we talked about, you know, an employee might say, I'm the kind of person who shares my ideas. But sometimes that can be a bit daunting, right? You know, what if people think it's a bad idea? Or what if my idea doesn't get moved forward, right? Um, but if you start to identify as somebody that shares ideas, solves problems, what would this kind of person do, right? Of course, they would share their improvement ideas. So it's kind of just about the little bit of faking it till you make it and eventually. Um, it kind of sticks. And Morgan, I just want, and, and, and if we're thinking about like translating this to an organization, it's, you know, instead of I'm the kind of person who, we're the kind of organization mm-hmm. that, da, 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 insert that in, in kind of the, one of the examples they keep uh, mentioning, and I'm not going to remember, it was probably clear. He talks about, um, a, 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 we'll talk about a negative habit, a person that smokes and they want to develop the habit of not smoking. They could say, oh, I'm trying to quit. That could be one one way a person says it, or they could say identity. Oh, I'm not a I'm I'm I know I'm not a person that smokes, right? And so when you focus on identities, all of the micro decisions are made for you. Oh, we are um, oh, we're really trying to do a threes. Oh, we're not going to do an A three for this because we're just going to jump to the um, jump to the solutions. Or well, wait, hold on. If we're an organization that does A threes, what is the thing that we would do right now? Oh, we would we'd start an A three. Who, who cares if you do the A three bad? At least you're doing the A three, right? Right. And um, and then it at least provides that opportunity to start coaching. So this is really talking about creating identity for yourself. And um, to give the ACL example, um, I was reading I was reading Clear's book, and I was just literally recovering from the ACL. And I started to say, "I'm the kind of person that does all the rehab that um, my physical therapist tells me to do. And if Irma tells me to do it, I do it. Like I'm not I don't miss a day. I always do it. And I kept telling everyone that that was my identity." And sure enough, um, it, it really helped me in those times when I was like, oh, really don't want to do this. This is just going to suck so much. 
it really helped me in those types of situations. And so that is the type of um, um, shift. And we're, we're about to talk about personas here, but, but if you're a CI coach and you're talking to um, executive management, you're talking to senior leaders, it's what kind of senior leader are you going to, do you want to be like really try to get them to identify I'm a senior leader that leads an organization that I'm an executive. And um, when they develop as an individual and then as an organization that develops, then all these micro decisions are made for you. Yeah, I love that example. It's a great way to describe it. So last big thing before we jump into personas is this concept of like being 1% better every day. So I feel like you hear this a lot in the business world. And I remember first hearing this, I was like, what, why 1%, you know, what's why that seems, you know, so small. Um, but this concept of these small goals is really important. And I think all three of the books really harp on. So, you know, this idea of being 1% better every day is, you know, it compounds over time and it leads to massive changes. So, you know, in the beginning, when you're starting off trying to be 1% better every day, there's really no difference between making a choice that's good and making a choice that bad if it's just 1%. Um, but as time goes on, these small improvements or, you know, uh, bad, bad decisions uh, compound and suddenly you find a very big gap between the people who are making good decisions and the people who are making bad decisions. So, you know, all this to say that small habits go a long way. So, you know, we kind of talked to this idea of motivation earlier. So as much as we all would love to, we can't wake up with an extremely high level of motivation every single day, right? So, you know, we're human. It's just not possible. Maybe Greg, but not the rest of us. No, 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 no. I'm the same. I'm all about the identity. But, but to talk, Morgan, about this from a, um, an organizational standpoint, oh, well, I mean, maybe it's, we're going to be 1% better today in, um, we all have to go fight the fire because of the media. But let, if we could just be one percent better about going back to that and doing a root cause and why that fire happened and eliminate that, mm-hmm. just focusing on just that tiny little improvement probably isn't. You're not going to see it from um, week one to week four, but it's actually doable to go from week one to week four because um, you're just doing one percent. But certainly right. after a year you're going to really move the needle. I think 1%, you put a penny down and you do compounded interest on a penny at 1% after like a hundred years, it's like $50 million or something. And you started with a penny. And so um, I, I really think this is a, a, a really good goal. And uh, um, I shouldn't say not goal, a really good mindset for us as CI coaches, because you know, doing CI work is um, it's, it can be really hard to get people's attention. Um, we, we we empathize. Um, we're in the trenches with you, and uh, um, getting you know the folks that you work with to say, "Hey, let's just go for that one percent this week, that month," um, makes it actionable, makes it doable, makes it obtainable, and really compounds over time. Absolutely. So, Greg, you talked about you know how do we apply this beyond ourselves? How do we apply this to our organization? So. That's kind of what we're getting into next, right? So, you know, these are great. And I think all of us can see, okay, how do I apply this to my own personal work or my own personal life? But, um, you know, as professionals, we we lead teams, we work with our peers. So it's important that everybody in our organization are kind of following these habit loops, you know, as they interconnect, which we'll, you know, expand on during our next webinar. Um, but it's this concept of how do we build these organizational habits? So, 
you know, who are we talking about here? Um, all of our different personas. So, you know, we have hundreds or thousands of individuals in our organization and we can't build an individual habit loop for each of them, right? It's not sustainable. It's never going to happen. So what we've really found after our, you know, years of working with hundreds of different, um, you know, customers and partners is that you can typically group all the individuals and organizations into one of these four buckets or personas, as many of you are familiar with. So this idea of, you know, executives, we've got our CI coaches, we've got leaders, and we've got our frontline. So I think we're all familiar with kind of who falls into which category. But the cool part is that in this case, we've kind of discovered that you really only need to design four habit loops for these four personas, right? Instead of a thousand. So, you know, designing and sustaining these habit loops for these four personas um, is going to be huge in, you know, reaching our organizational goals and really establishing that culture of continuous improvement. So, you know, with that, we cannot wait to dive into these concepts more in our next webinar. And I will leave the floor. I'll give the floor to Mark unless, Greg, do you have any other closing thoughts? No, I think you... you you nailed this. I, when you were just finishing this, I had the, the opportunity to go into the chat and there's some phenomenal things going on in the chat. I don't know if other people can read it, but um, yeah. Mark, I'm sure you can give us some uh, summaries of what's going on too. Yeah, there's, there's one question there and there's other questions. So I encourage people to keep submitting those through um, the Q and a button. So thank you, Greg and Morgan. We'll give you a chance to catch your breath and have some water. A um, couple announcements here. Um, we do webinars roughly once a month. I think we are ending up with two in March. First off, we'll be on March 14th, um, usual time, one o'clock Eastern. Dr. Lisa Yarian from uh, Cleveland Clinic. I've, I've known Lisa for, for a long time now. She is doing uh, incredible work um, at Cleveland Clinic as, uh, as a leader. Um, she's going to be doing a, a presentation updated version of uh, a talk I saw her give in Dallas at the AME conference. Um, it was really good late last year, um, titled Building a Culture of Empowerment and Reflecting on Lessons Learned. So if you don't work in healthcare, I encourage you, if not plead with you, please register and come anyway, because what Lisa is sharing is really about leadership and culture, and it's very transferable. So you can, um, if you're, you'll get an email about registration for that next webinar. Then we also invite you to check out other free resources on our website. We have a blog that you can find at blog.kinexus.com. You can sign up to get those posts sent out to you. And then we also have a podcast, the Kinexus Continuous Improvement Podcast. The audio from today's session will be published in the podcast feed, and we encourage you to find that and follow and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. All right, and then you can see um, contact information for Kinexus, um, our website, social media, email addresses for Greg and Morgan. And with that, we've, we've got a good 10 minutes here uh, for Q&A. Um, so first off, Chris asks, are all three parts of developing habit um, given or, or worth equal weight? It seems like routine and reward is more important than the cue. What, what do you two think? If I can just jump in here, I think that the cue is, is huge. You know, as we kind of talked about on that fog model is that, you know, that, that motivation and ability just sometimes aren't enough. You need that cue. Um, 
as that, that reminder, um, you know, maybe as time goes on that cue, you just don't think about quite as much because it does become a habit. But I think, especially in the beginning, when you're trying to build that habit, the cue is instrumental. Greg, what do you think? Oh, you're, you're muted, Greg. I'm muted because I was drinking and you're like, take take a break and take a break and drink. And I was like, I don't think people need to hear me drinking. So thank you. Um, so I, I'm, I a hundred percent agree. It's super important. I'm wondering, um, I'm going to just be uh, empathetic to maybe the thought that Chris was trying to state. I think the cue is super important to have, but I think if you're thinking about equal weight of you probably need the, the cue might it, might be easier to execute because it's it's simply like identifying what is that trigger that's going to remind me to then do the the routine. So I feel like our CI coaches are probably thinking to themselves, okay, if I'm working with the frontline persona, the routine, I need to make sure it's really easy and I need to make sure they all know how to do it or a, a leader of a team, I mean, they're going to really focus on that and make sure it's you know easy and they know how to do it. Um, I think though that if you ignore the cue altogether, you, you're just not going to start the habit loop. And so I think that maybe the point Chris was trying to make um, was uh, you, you'll probably need to think through the design a little bit um, longer um, on the routine and making sure the reward works. I think if you ignore the cue, you're going to be like um, the Kinexian who didn't practice uh, in Japanese as much as he wanted to, because you're just never going to remember to do it and, and it never trigger it in. So um, I, I hope that that speaks to it, but I couldn't agree with Morgan um, anymore. If, if if you don't have a cue, it ain't happening. That's it's mm-hmm. where it starts. Yeah. Um, so another question, um, going back and thinking about ability and motivation and um, Fogg's behavior model, it, it, it seems to imply that low ability can be overcome by high motivation. Is that a kind of a correct reading of that chart and that curve? Do you want to, do you want to, I'll let you take it first, Greg. Yeah. So I, I think the, there's no question that um, uh, you said that high motivation can, can, yeah, there's no question. To to get on the good side of that curve. Yes. There's no question that you can do it on on either side. I think what, what, what the, the readings would say is if you're counting on motivation you, you aren't going to get it. As Morgan said, not everyone can be motivated every day. And mm-hmm. I'll be honest, she was like, I, I appreciate the compliment. I know there are times when I'm not motivated every day and I just get the shoes on and I do like 10 minutes of stretching and I'm like, Hey, at least I did it. And I'm done, you know, um, from that side of things. So I, I think, I think there is, uh, if, if you're not really designing these things and I'll be honest with you, it's, it's taken, four years probably for me to understand the wisdom of this body of work and how it can truly transform an individual. It can transform a family. It can transform an organization and then becoming facile with it and and seeing it work and uh, um, seeing it not work and then analyzing why didn't that work and then figuring that out. Um, So yes, 
it is true that motivation can, uh, really high motivation can overcome ability. But I think if you are trying to design something out, then, um, and you're going to say, oh, I'm going to bank on motivation, it's not going to happen. And, and I just, I just noticed that Chris said awesome things for that cue at the beginning. And that, that's exactly, that's right. Because the whole point is, is that eventually the cue just, you're doing it in the, the basal ganglia. It's just like, it's just happening. And so if you're trying to get through that, that first week, month, year, whatever it's taking to really, I almost think of it as a path going through the woods. Mm-hmm. Initially, you can't tell anyone went through that path, but then after you go through it a hundred times or a thousand times, it really, it, it becomes really obvious. And then if you go through that path and then all of a sudden you stop going through, if it's a really well-established path, then you can get right back and you can see that path for a really long time. I know it's a little bit of an abstract concept. So um, I will say, and I don't know what made me think of this because you talked about systems, Morgan, um, and this is where I'm just getting excited about habits in, in general. But I, I found that, especially with my um, my workout habit, that whenever I would go on vacation um, and I would disrupt my routine, um, let's say for a weekend, long weekend or a, or a week or whatever, I would really struggle to get right back at, into it. And so I started to become really intentional about when the surroundings are changing, because obviously all my cues are changing. And I, I would literally plan out and I would tell my wife like, hey, this day I'm going to do these things and I'm, you know, I'm going to run or whatever. So I'm like a little bit of an accountability um, person. We'll talk about that in the next uh, in the next talk and, and really kind of being intentional about like redoing the cue routine, so to speak, in different environments. Um, so just keep that in mind. Yeah. There's uh, another question that came in from um, from Tori. How long does it generally take to form a habit using this formula? And I'll just kind of append to that. There's all kinds of rules of thumb that cite historical figures that may or may not may or may not have said these things. It takes 14 days to develop a habit, 30 days to solidify a habit. What what do you think about that time? You know, it's funny because I've seen the same thing, right? You see 14, I've seen in the 60s, but Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, but none of the three books really give a time, right? It's really just about building that habit loop properly. I think some habits probably take longer than others. What are your thoughts? I'm I'm so glad you said that because I was thinking back, I was like, I don't think I've ever... I don't remember reading anything about like, is there a magic duration? Um, I think that you're obviously, you're obviously talking through um, this concept of, well, how complicated is the routine? How much time is it? How much external pressures do you have? How good is your cue? Did the cue get pulled away? Because I've developed habits that I've really liked. And, uh, um, you know, six months later, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. Or I've develop habits that I really didn't like. And then, um, I get rid of them and I'm a nail biter. You know, I've been working on this for my whole life. And right now the last 10 years I've done pretty well, but you know, all of a sudden I'm bored in a movie and then I like start biting my nails. I was like, wow, I've kind of stopped doing that forever. And so yeah. I don't know if there's a, um, if there's an exact time frame. Yeah. I, I, I grew up a nail biter and not to get too sidetracked by this, but I tried all sorts of negative rewards I guess that is a phrase, right? You know, the the, yeah. the the gross tasting stuff that you put on your fingernails and like you can kind of, sadly, you kind of get used to that flavor <laughs> when yeah. you're a committed nail biter, maybe not while you're eating a meal. But um, when I think of um, reward, 
Like, I mean, I, the, the thing that actually helped me was um, buying a hypnosis audio that I listened to a bunch of times. And I think what happened there, and it actually like just almost overnight, um, the prompt was, you know, think of how it feels when you're done biting your nails, whatever sense of satisfaction or whatever you get. And just w- when you feel tempted to bite your nails, think, think how it feels to be done. I'm like, I, I mean, I was blown away. I was skeptical about how effective that would be, but um, it was, I guess, a form of reward as opposed yeah, you were, to- you were probably eliciting your dopaminergic system without doing the uh-huh. routine. Um, you were just kind of putting yourself in that, that spot. There's a, a webinar panel full of nail biters here. I'm the <laughs> well, same way. So I need to listen to that, I think. I'll, I'll send you a link this, to that. I feel but, like the webinar chat could be a blog yeah, post. Yeah. Itself. There's so many interesting things going on. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll pull out that chat. One other question here, and I, we might not have time to fully cover it, but um, Santosh asks a really good question. In today's world of crisis management, where we have, quote unquote, no time all the time, continuous improvement is left to when we have time, which never comes. Does that sound familiar? thoughts about addressing that. That could be a whole webinar on its own. 100%. And I'm happy to take a stab at that. Um, One, I agree. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have seen over and over that without, I'm going to just say, I'm going to use the word senior leadership or executive um, leadership in this area, the organization can become distracted um, very quickly. And so um, we work with some really large organizations, so I'm not saying it has to be the senior leaders and executive leaders of that, but certainly a local leader. Um, I, I have not seen many examples of um, almost grassroots CI happening um, without some kind of leader that's bought in to kind of redirect because there's always a fire. And uh, unless there is um, a constant redirecting of making sure you're doing the right habits, but I, I don't, I don't remember who you said asked that question, but that is that yeah. is a problem I think you'll always have. I bet they have that in micro areas, even in Toyota. Um, so, I, I, you know, there's always going to be this, oh, we stray from, oh, let's get back on the path. And um, so. But I, I think there's a, a mindset shift from feeling the victim of I don't have time as opposed to trying to create time. Right. And I'd, I'd be curious how that habit loop could help somebody do something active. Um, yeah, all right. I, so I, I, I definitely think um, playing the victim role in that situation is is not going to to lead to um, you know a positive outcome there. So um, you know, trying your best, staying positive, getting people out of line on on the same thoughts that you have, and, and influencing, starting with why, things of that nature. Yeah. And I mean, no offense to you, Santosh, if you if you're still on, um, this is a very common dynamic, and and I know you're trying to help people flip that dynamic through the the work that you're doing. So um, with that, we are out of time. If you have other questions, you can um, email me, mark at kinexus.com or greg at kinexus.com or morgan.right at kinexus.com. As as they mentioned, uh, there will be future webinar or webinars. Do I have that right, Morgan? We'll see. (laughs) That's the plan. Um, But we would love to hear your feedback. Please fill out the survey. And, and I think, you know, today was an introduction and an overview. This is a really rich topic. So there will be some deeper dives. Peeling back the onion was the phrase Greg used. So yeah, I'm mixing, exactly. mixing cliches. Forgive me for that. But I want to thank everybody for attending today. Um, Greg and Morgan, thank you for um, the session here. Really appreciate it.